What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rewired Soul podcast. It's your host, Chris. And today I had the pleasure of speaking with the one and only Amanda Montel about her new book, Cultish. All right. So this is her second book. And I actually started with this book, Cultage. Then I went back and read her other book, Word Slut. All right. So yeah, like a lot of people, I, I don't know where it comes from. I have some theories and all that, but I am fascinated with cults. When there's like cult documentaries, I check them out and I watch and I try to understand and, and all these other things, right? Like one of my favorite shows, which my girlfriend and I have been wanting to rewatch was uh, The Following, right? Because I'm also interested in understanding serial killers and all that. And The Following kind of blends serial killers and cults. But anyways, anyways, I've, I've been trying to find more books on cults and things like that. And Amanda and I will talk about uh, one of the experts in the area, Steve Hassan, but uh, I came across Amanda's book and I was, you know, eager for it to come out because it sounded like, okay, this is something different, something new. And, you know, because a lot of them just like document a very specific cult. And this book, Cultage, it kind of, it kind of modernized it, right? Like the, the cult followings of different things, you know, and I really enjoyed that. But more, more than that, uh, Amanda is into sociolinguistics, all right? So that is like how we use language to influence people or, you know, how, how language like helps us interact and with each other and all this. And like, Amanda's really into it. So I was like, this is a completely unique angle. But anyways, Amanda is super cool. I had so much fun uh, chatting with her about her book and we dive into so much stuff. Like, how do you define a cult? What is a cult? Because everything, you know, everything gets called a cult these days, right? Uh, we discuss, you know, how cults use language to manipulate people. And, you know, in, in this more modern sense, we talk about, you know, cult followings and, you know, like stan culture and all that, because, you know, I've, I've had a lot of guests on here, uh, different authors, where we talk about, you know, uh, group think, group mentality, group psychology, and all that. And stan culture is a really, really big thing. And I know that coming from the YouTube world. So it was fun talking with her about that. But, Amanda actually starts her book off talking about, you know, AA and something that, you know, I've heard since getting sober is AA is a cult, right? That's one of the main reasons people don't want to go. AA is a cult. And, you know, I have my own opinions, my own views on it. So when Amanda came on, I was like, hey, let's let's ask the question, is AA a cult? So this is a, a, a fun conversation and her book is amazing. So make sure down below in the description, I, I have linked to Amanda uh, over on Instagram. I've linked to the book as well as her other book, Word Slut. And Amanda actually has a podcast called Sounds Like a Cult. All right. So all that stuff's linked down below. Make sure you check it out. And while you're down there in the description, make sure you are following me at The Rewired Soul over on Instagram and Twitter so you don't miss any upcoming episodes, books I'm reading and all that fun stuff. And if you're new, I guarantee, I guarantee you're going to enjoy this episode. So make sure you're following or subscribed on whatever platform you're listening on. All right. But anyways, without further ado, here's my conversation with Amanda Montel about her new book, Cultish.
Right. Hello, Amanda. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We finally, we finally did it, Amanda. You are finally here. I'm so, finally here. We did that whole New Yorker shouts and murmurs joke or let the let's get drinks thing where yeah. like everyone cancels and then it never happens, but it's happening. It, it's finally happening. They said we could never do it, but we're here. And <laughs> and I'm so I'm so glad to. It seems like the book's doing well. So real quick. For the people in my audience who have yet to meet you and the wonderful work that you do, this is your second book, Cultish? Yeah. Okay. So tell me, what I like to ask is like, what inspired the book? What made you want to sit down? Because writing a book is a lengthy process. <laughs> Why did you want to sit down and, and write this thing? Well, there are a few inspirations. Um the first inspiration is just my lifelong curiosity. I'm hardly the only person in the world who's entranced by cults, anthropologically, mm -hmm. not earnestly, um, not try Well, but I guess my argument is that we're all in a cult to some degree. So mm. I guess I am attracted to cults in multiple ways. But um, yeah. I grew up in a pretty skeptical household. My parents are research scientists, but my dad also spent his teenage years in a pretty notorious cult called mm -hmm. Sinanon. Um, he was forced to join by his father, who was the sort of pseudo-intellectual pseudo hippie type. He was a card-carrying communist. It was the late 1960s. Mm -hmm. He wanted in on the blossoming countercultural movement and heard about this sort of utopian socialist compound in the Bay Area um, that offered, you know, an opportunity to experience an alternative way of life. And so he moved my dad, who was then 14, onto this compound. And my dad immediately knew there was something very off. Strange rituals and protocols. Yeah. Children had to live separate from their parents. You weren't allowed to go to school on the outside. Mm -hmm. Everybody had this really unquestioning um, adoration for their quote unquote charismatic leader, this guy yeah. named Peterick. So my dad um, brought me up on those stories of Sinanon. And yeah. um, by far the most interesting parts of his stories to me were the special language that Sinanon used in order to create a sense of solidarity and elitism, that mm -hmm. uh, stem dichotomy to encourage conformism and shut down dissent, all the things that cultish groups need to do in order to gain and maintain power. Like people who joined were called lifestylers. Mm -hmm. um, and there was this practice that everybody had to engage in every single night called the game, which was this really uh, humiliating and sometimes very yeah. hostile group truth-telling situation that was pitched as mm -hmm. group therapy, but really it was this form of social control that Chuck Diederick, the guy at the top, would enforce. So anyway, that was a huge inspiration just mm -hmm. growing up on those stories. And I think my dad's stories of, of Sinanon and his childhood in general, which is just ugh, ripe for a memoir. Um, yeah. He, th that not only inspired my fascination with cults, but just my love of, I think, journalism and nonfiction in general, because I grew up, you know, like trying to string these plot points together mm -hmm. and figure out what happened. So that was part of it. But the book idea really snapped into focus for me. Uh, ironically, we were just talking about AA. Mm -hmm. And um, in early 2017, one of my closest friends had just gotten sober and was, was you know, hitting it hard in the AA meetings. And she started talking to me, like, in the AA. In the lingo. Which is, like, so distinctive. Like, yeah. there is just such 
a specific and robust glossary of AA slogans and terminology, like halting and whatever. I mean, there's so much of it. Yeah. So, um, you know, my friend is also a skeptic, but you have to sort of like um, suspend your disbelief in order to fully commit to the AA mm-hmm. stuff. But this, it, I mean, some of it is is religious in like a spiritual, like mm-hmm. theistic type of way. Like there is talk of God and such, but it's also religious just in the fanatical aspect. Like you really have to devote yourself wholeheartedly. Yeah. Like you can't do AA casually, at least not in the beginning. So I was really amazed by the effect that this AA language was having on her. And it sounded very culty to me. Yeah. It very Synanon-esque. Because growing up on those stories, you know, I started to hear Synanon-type language mm-hmm. everywhere. Not just in religious groups, but in, you know, places you might not otherwise think are cults. Like workout groups and yeah. summer-ups and the theater program that I was in when I was in high school. You know, all oh, these you were theater? theater student i was a theater kid yeah nice a little bit um so i just saw cultiness everywhere i guess like heard cultiness everywhere mm-hmm. and so when she introduced me to some of this aa lingo i was like oh man i gotta write a book about the language of cults <laughs> yeah yeah no it's it's interesting and like you said like since i i got so like i can i can spot them right from like a mile away just these little things i'm like yeah i i think so and then i'll confirm it i'll be like yeah i knew it you know and we're, we're gonna we're gonna dive into that and like, cause I, we're going to have fun talking about AA in a second, but your book is called Cultish and you explain it in the book and everybody listening is going to go buy a copy, but why cult-ish? What's that mean? <laughs> well, one of my earliest discoveries researching this book is that there really is no official hard and fast definition for the word cults. It has always been like so subjective. And it hasn't even always been um, sinister by definition. We think of it as that. We think of mm. cult as being inherently negative. Um, but that wasn't always the case. Um, in fact, this word wasn't even as common as it is today until the 1960s and 70s when the Manson family murders in Jonestown mm-hmm. put cults on the map as something we should all be afraid of. So since that time in particular, this word has become so subjective and so sensational often just used to disparage religious groups or really any group at all that we as speakers or we as yeah. people approve of that scholars don't even like really use it, at least not formally, just because mm. it's unspecific. It's like, what are we talking about? Where is yeah. the line separating cults from religion, from another kind of ideologically bound tight-knit group? They're just, I mean, people have tried to come up with lists of criteria separating, mm-hmm. you know, what what is a cult from anything else? you know, those, those ends justify the means, um, philosophies and the us versus them dichotomy, the charismatic leader, the supernatural mm-hmm. elites, you can go down the list, but not every group that could be, or has been called a cult meets all of those criteria. And mm-hmm. yet you'll find a lot of mainstream, you know, established and accepted groups from religions to government agencies, et cetera, yeah. that do meet all of those qualifications. So for this reason, I find that the word Cults can be triggering, not super useful. It can alienate people. But at the very least, you can describe all these groups as cultish along this cultish spectrum. So you might not be able to throw around the word cults 
and have everyone be open to listening to you because that word can be very triggering. But you can at least describe this spectrum of groups as cultish. Mm -hmm. So that's one half of the reason why I decided to title the book that. But it's really a double entendre. And the other half is that um, the book is all about this system of language techniques that all these cultish leaders from Jim Jones to Jeff Bezos use yeah. in order to manipulate, influence their followings. Um, and so cultish is the name of this language that I describe, like English or Spanish or Swedish, but cultish. Ah, okay, okay, that makes sense. And, and here's the thing, as, as I'm hearing you talk, like one of the reasons that your book sucked me in is because I'm a, I'm a huge psychology nerd. I, I'm just really fascinated with human behavior. And I've always been like, how do words influence people? And there's this thing called sociolinguistics that you, that you know so much about you introduced me to the work of like john mcwhorter too and stuff i was like hey where's more books on this stuff so i i i hopefully we could touch on it in a little bit but for everybody listening amanda has another book called word slut and that was phenomenal as well it's it's helped me be a little bit more mindful of you know how i talk and stuff like that too but anyways i love the angle you take because there's so many books on cults but you take this language angle of it and one thing that I, I'm curious about when we're talking about like the criteria and no specific definition, I kind of have two, two questions about this. The first one is, and I, I, yeah, man, I could talk to you all day about this, but specifically for the word cult, do you feel like it's diluted because it's overused? Do you think we're calling everything a cult and we need to pull back a little bit because that's a concern I have is just labeling everything all willy nilly and not being able to distinguish anything. Well, what's interesting about language in general is that language as a whole and also individual words are always changing and our use of them is always changing. And that is precisely reflective of the culture. Um, and that comes down to dictionary definitions. Like we think that dictionary definitions are this stable and secure mm -hmm. like truth that is determined from on high but really dictionary definitions reflect general use so mm -hmm. the uh, any given words definition is just going to reflect what the culture at the time of that dictionary's updating thought that that word meant mm -hmm. um so the history and evolution of the word cult is interesting and tumultuous and precisely reflects our cultural relationship with community and spirituality and mm -hmm. identity and meaning and that relationship has gotten really weird and yeah. the word cult's ability to apply to anything from a really destructive group like the people's temple aka jonestown but also in kind of like a hyperbolic metaphorical way to say a beauty brand yeah like like a cult following and stuff or, like that or a, yeah or a furniture company like ikea or whatever yeah. um really says something about how cultish our culture has become mm -hmm. and there's no policing that you know um as i mentioned before the word cult didn't really become associated with fear and destruction mm -hmm. and death until the manson family murders and then the jonestown massacre and that's what put cults on the map um as something that we should all be terrified of and establish their reputation as something inherently sinister then, mm -hmm. of course, as soon as the word cults and cults in general became 
frightening, they also became cool. And that's why we have 70s foreign slang terms like cult followed and cult Mm. classic and cult film. So pop culture and, you know, America's English speaking youth didn't wait long before, you know, like co-opting these words to mean something different. Um, And the word cult has just continued to change and morph and balloon since then to apply to so many groups because we're not just looking to quote-unquote alternative religions or fringe spiritual groups for community and fulfillment anymore sometimes we're looking to our jobs which you know say that we're part of the amazon family or whatever you know we're looking to secular sites of these deeply human motivations for community and ritual and purpose Mm -hmm. and all that stuff um and so there's a reason why the word cult can now be applied to pretty much anything and at the same time due to a lot of what we've seen over the past like five years the political divisiveness and the ideological divisiveness um people have thrown around the term cult to accuse people of being quote-unquote brainwashed by certain ideas which in my book i talk about how the word brainwashed is just a metaphor. It's not a real or tested yeah. phenomenon. And it can often work just to shut down conversations and mm-hmm. widen those rifts between people. You know, the second you say that someone's in a cult and that they're brainwashed, the conversation tends to end right there because mm-hmm. people aren't going to want to talk to you anymore. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not in the business of like policing what people should and shouldn't say i'm simply in the business of highlighting why we talk the way we do and then maybe maybe what <laughs> hey there's a new word we've been I'm inventing words as <laughs> we um and then maybe you know offering some suggestions about how to move forward based on um the research that sociolinguists and that i as a sort of linguistics writer um, are doing yeah, yeah quick question just totally just side question i was looking at this up have you read uh have you read the brainwashing book i might have talked to you about this but did you read brainwashing by kathleen taylor like where she oh okay okay i thought i told you about this privately but anyways everybody listening brainwashing by kathleen taylor i was like what what's this about and i i didn't know if it was going to be all pseudoscience and stuff but it's really good you know and kind of debunks some myths and talks about you know all this stuff um, but speaking of brainwashing, and you already touched on with like the political divides and everything, for just a second, I want to talk about our boy, Steve Hassan. All right. So those who don't know Steve Hassan, great dude, like anybody who's helping people get out of cults, phenomenal. But I'm curious. Okay. So I wrote like a pretty in-depth review of his book, The Cult of Trump. I hate reading books on Trump. It feels like they all say the same thing. It's like Trump sucks. I know you. I don't need 500 pages to tell me that. Right. But anyways, so I read it. But when we're, you know, not only just how we use it to label people who might be brainwashed or, you know, whatever, uh, aside from that, he also has like his famous criteria yeah, and I have seen it just everywhere, everywhere. Like there's people, anytime somebody wants to quote unquote, prove something's a cult, they use his criteria. That's right. Here's, here's the beef I got, Amanda. All right. <laughs> yeah. I, I personally feel, and maybe you can clear this up for me. I personally feel like it is just vague as hell and I could toss anything into this kind of definition and it's just this moving thing and if i wanted to like my cats hanging out could be a cult you know what i mean so 
<laughs> so what are your thoughts on this? Like, is it, is he even using it too broadly or, or what do you, what do you think? Should, well, I, should I calm down? No, no, you don't need to calm down. Um, actually, <laughs> oh my God, complete sidebar. Um, there are some people who actually the reception to my book has been amazing, but there have been like, obviously people who take issue with this and that, cause I'm making a lot of controversial claims. Um, reporters mm-hmm. tend to not to like my book so much. Um, yeah. even though They're I'm really, really touchy, you know, they are quite touchy. Um, <laughs> but a, a Scientologist got a hold Ooh. of my book, which is against their rules because my book would be consli- considered black PR by their standards. Mm-hmm. Invoca Scientology buzzword since I speak ill of the religion. Uh, but anyway, a Scientologist apparently got a hold of my book and read it and then wrote a whole blog post called Amanda Montel Needs to Calm Down. <laughs> yeah. I'm Googling it after we hang up. I didn't read it. I just saw the headline and kind of skimmed it. And I laughed because the joke is I I would love to calm down. Like if Mm -hmm. this Scientologist wants to sponsor like a retreat for my wellness. Yeah. yeah. Hey, sign sign me up. I would love that. Um, But anyway, uh, no, you don't need to calm down. It's interesting. I mean, language is not really a science how to use it is not really a science Mm -hmm. i should say um and cult experts or like people who study cult all have their own little camps of thought and stephen hassan is one of these um you know thought leaders in the cult Mm -hmm. states i guess who um yeah has uh really made a name for himself and i interviewed him for my book and he's a really interesting person um and I, I see why he would want to try to come up with like a cult taxonomy. Like that mm-hmm. is such a profoundly human thing. Yeah. Want to like understand our own behavior better and to be able to categorize it. Um, but sometimes things are too subjective to be able to categorize in that mm-hmm. way. And this reminds me of something, some research that I came across for my first book. It's like, Gender, like religion and cult, is like, it's too complicated and ongoing and ever-changing to be Mm -hmm. able to classify in that type of taxonomy sort of way. Um, So, yeah, I mean, he's an ex-Mooney. So, like, he spent a lot of years in a notorious cult. um, And so I understand his motivations to want to understand what happened to him and to help other people who've had similar experiences. And there are those who, you know, to touch on the question you asked before, would say that it's, you know, really unhelpful and offensive to use the word cult in any context other than to describe these really, really abusive groups. Mm -hmm. But again, like, I just think it, it's too subjective to be able to to classify or police how people use it. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, like, we as conversationalists are actually really, really good at being able to tell the implied stakes and context whenever a familiar word is invoked in conversation. So when I say, like, Amazon is a cold mm-hmm. or something like that, people tend to automatically know that I'm not suggesting that Amazon is in the same category as Heaven's Gate. Or yeah, they're, they're not like sacrificing animals or, you know, no, like, <laughs> now on the internet, 
those um, really natural, that natural conversational savviness that people tend to have when mm. in conversation, that can get lost and that can get a little confusing. Um, but, you know, I, people, people tend to know what I mean when I say like the cult of soul cycle. In fact, people are, so know what I mean that I, one of the sources that I spoke to for this book, um, a fringe religion scholar of, of anthropology named Tanya Lerman, mm-hmm. who studied like witches and charismatic Christians, all types of people. Um, I, I reached out to her asking if I could interview her for the book and mentioned that my book was about like the language of cults from Scientology to Soul Cycle, And she responded like, yes, man, I'd love to talk to you for your book. And by the way, I totally think Soul Cycle is a cult winky thing. <laughs> and she's like a Stanford professor. Yeah, like, yeah. She's a serious person, but she was willing to, she was naturally able to get on board with me right away and know mm-hmm. what I was talking about. Um, I still break down the history and many meanings of the word cult at the beginning of my book just to clear up any confusion in that yeah. way. But yeah, I mean, the word cult is just so tricky and it's going to mean something different depending on like the values of the person using it, the context of the conversation. So yeah, I'm not like totally in the camp of of Stephen Hassan's like bite model. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, when I first came across it, um, you know, it, it was just all over on 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 YouTube because that's originally where I came from was YouTube. And I yeah. saw people just throwing everything and they're like, well, look, it fits into the bite model. I'm like, everything fits into the bite model, yeah. you know? But uh, what's interesting, and again, we're gonna we're gonna have to connect or or we'll just talk on the side or something. But when you're talking about this, it makes me think about mental health. So originally I come yeah. from the mental health background and, you know, and that's one of the struggles they have with diagnoses, right? If you look at the you know, DSM diagnosis of like depression and, you know, anxiety, it's very, some of it can be very subjective. You know what I mean? And it's difficult to put things within those categories. Even I think maybe that's just why, like when I look at the bite model or something, like coming from a mental health background, I'm like, well, you know, there's debates over here. And if, you know, psychiatry has been around for this long and they're still kind of struggling with definitions, I don't think we could just toss out this criteria. Like anything, I think there is a lot to be said for the work that Stephen Hassan has done. There's a lot to be said about it. I mean, it was really helpful to me when I first started my research um, to understand, you know, what this person thinks, what what school of thought this person is in. But like anything, and this this is what I talk about in the book about, like how to protect yourself against destructive cultishness is like you have to be able to take everything with a grain of salt mm-hmm. like you don't have to worship at the altar of Stephen Hassan or like anyone to be able to derive insight from their teachings like you just mm-hmm. don't want to throw yourself a hundred percent into one person's ideology or belief system or you know to have it take over your entire life or to put all your eggs in that basket yeah. if and if someone requires you to that's a sign that yeah. that person has some nefariously cultish intentions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you know it's you know it's crazy. Just uh, it, it it's funny because like I thought this episode, I'm like this episode is so much different than these other ones, right? And it is, but I talked to these other authors where we talk about just you know different things going on uh, in just culture as a whole, and we're talking about like diversity of ideas and healthy conflict, and this topic keeps coming up. Like it's just 
take things with a grain of salt. Don't fall into like that group mentality, uh, uh, you know, and sit in that echo chamber, question things. And, you know, if they don't let you speak up, maybe you should be like, okay, maybe there's a red flag. And I was thinking about this, like even uh, places of work, because I've talked to different psychologists about, you know, uh, just conformity and authority and all these other things. And so it's like, I don't, I don't know. It feels like that there's these, there's these glaring signs that should be around, but, but something I've been dying to ask you. Okay. Because something I loved about the book. All right. Cause I I've had, uh, I've been attacked by Stan culture and I was like, Oh man, this is great. She taught touches on like Stan culture and celebrity uh, worship. And we didn't even mention it, but we're going to talk about it later. You have a podcast called Cultish. You talk about so much cool stuff. Uh, it well, sounds like a cult. cult sounds cult. like a cult. That's what it is. Sounds like a cult. And here's my question. So I follow you on Instagram and everybody here is going to follow you on Instagram. And everybody is buying your book. And you're like, I see it every day. You share it on your stories. And I love it, that in, in interaction. And you must have sat back and asked yourself this. Do you have a cult following, Amanda? That's is there that, is that is that something you've you've pondered? I mean, I would love to generate a cult following in the sort of metaphorical sense, um, just because that would be good for my career. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like the fact that I'm being transparent about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that and sounds exactly like, what a cult leader would say, Amanda. No, but what's funny too is that the second you start defending why you're not a cult leader, you all of a sudden immediately just sound like a cult leader. So I'm not yeah. even gonna go there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like marketing can just be cultish in general. If you're <laughs> trying to yank on people's heartstrings in similar ways, you know, there are just like certain things on Instagram in particular that resonate with people like, mm -hmm. you know, aesthetic quote grams and stuff like that. Um, but I think there are folks with more nefarious intentions that, yeah. uh, exploit the Instagram mobile marketing, um, like pastel QAnoners and people like that. Um, I'm literally just trying to get people to buy my your book, book. Yeah. continue having a writing career. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. It's something that I, I noticed just, you know, in the YouTube community and everything like that, like sometimes because there's, there's this weird thing where you cross a line and you don't even realize it as a as a creator, like you're, you're a writer and stuff. And I see YouTubers do this or, you know, journalists or whatever. There's a point where you're just doing your thing. You're just existing, doing your crap. And all of a sudden you have this very loyal following. And then there's yes. all these ethical questions about how much responsibility do you have over these people and what you say and what you do. And well, it's a lot of responsibility. It Amanda. is. It is. And, you know, it all comes down to how much power does the person at the helm really want? And what do they intend to do with it? So for someone like me, <laughs> like I am too, I am too like lazy to want to like manage people. And thus <laughs> I wouldn't want to start a cult because that just sounds like a lot, a lot of, of work, interpersonal dynamics that I don't really want to manage. I just want to be left alone. Um, uh, yeah. So, but then there are people, well, the stand culture thing is interesting because a lot of the time, uh, celebrity will have a standum that surrounds them that they have nothing to do with. In fact, uh. sometimes the celebrities have um, toxic relationships with their standums and their standums will 
go to bat for them in ways that are really fanatical. That yeah. he's like, I don't want you to do this. Yeah, um, yeah. We have a whole episode on sounds like a cult about Stan culture, which I think people might find interesting. Yeah. But then there are people like, you know, Elon Musk who totally take advantage of their standum and mm-hmm. blur those boundaries between business leader, celebrity, influencer, best friend, lifestyle guru, spiritual leader. Mm-hmm. And I think those blurred boundaries, um, especially since all these relationships are parasocial, can get really predatory and exploitative because those oh. standums are boosting his power and influence but what are they really getting in return? It's it's quite radicalized in mm-hmm. those circles. Um, so yeah, I think you know you have to look at the amount of power that the person you're worshiping is seeking. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's it, a lot. It's nuts, especially you bring up the Elon Musk example because there's that plausible deniability, right? Like, oh no, I'm just I'm just tweeting. I'm not influencing cryptocurrency market it's like get out of here elon we know what you're doing you know well and you can see i mean i think the culture of the standum even if the celebrity doesn't have anything directly to do with it or didn't cultivate it in the same way that marshall applewhite cultivated heaven's gate like the standum still reflects the culture of that celebrity or the Mm -hmm. ad that celebrity i feel Mm -hmm. um so i don't know i think if i have stan they're like nerdy language They're like uh, nerdy language readers. And I've uh, been like, that's good. <laughs> it's, I, I was just having this conversation yesterday because I, I think about that a lot because, you know, I grew an audience on YouTube and, you know, things like that. And I think a lot about like, you know, the responsibility, but, but kind of like what, what you were just saying, like, I, I think a, as any type of person of influence, whether you ask for it or not, you have to ask yourself, what kind of people are you attracting, right? Okay. If you have a certain type of person that keeps showing up, you got to sit back and like, oh, oh, uh, they don't represent me. You got to act like, okay, for example, going back to Trump, if white nationalists love you, yeah, you know, you got to be like, hmm, is there something that I might be doing that's like kind of drawing them in? But, uh, but yeah, and it, it's, it's funny that you talk about how much work it is. I, I watched the recent uh, Nexium docuseries with my girlfriend on Israel Max, like Keith Maneri. I'm like, dude, how'd you find all this time? You were with everybody talking to everybody so much work well and you know from political leaders to notorious cult leaders like jim jones we think of them as these genius masterminds these Mm. like little genius types but they're really just opportunists so at the beginning they don't set out with a goal of taking over the lives of a thousand people and then forcing them all to kill themselves like that's not their goal Um, They're not like crafty enough or good enough planners to be able to accomplish something like that. They're just following the power. Um, And sometimes, like in the case of a Jonestown or a Trump, not that those two situations, (laughs) they can't be. But uh, in those cases, you know, I mean, I'm like hardly the first to say that I don't I don't think Trump ever really thought he was going to become president. Yeah. But then once he became president, like his power hunger is so voracious. He was like, well, I can't lose it now. And so it just continued to radicalize and radicalize and radicalize because of his hunger for power. I, I do talk in my book about some of the oratorical similarities that populist leaders like Jim Jones and yeah. Trump share. Not to uh, 
not to put Trump in the Jim Jones category. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I, I'm currently reading a book uh, called Strongman from Ruth. Yeah, oh, yeah, Ruth ben was my, yeah. I babysat her daughter in college. What? Well, it's not like she, she might be coming on the podcast, so that's, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, I'm currently reading her book. And it's interesting hearing about these dictators and, and leaders like Stalin and Hitler and all, and the way they use language. And maybe it's because I come from a marketing background too uh-huh. and i think language is really interesting and the way and you so see... under undervalued because it's invisible and we grew up with axioms like sticks and stones can break your bones but yeah will never hurt you or whatever um but yeah that's so funny no ruth um literally i was well she was the chair of the italian department of my school and i babysat her daughter throughout college <laughs> that's crazy small small tiny world that's nuts yeah i'm, I'm really enjoying her book i can't wait to see where it goes and um i i really god see time flies amanda i want to talk to you about hey hey so everybody everybody listening before before i said amanda i am a very thick-skinned recovering alcoholic so you can go hard so if anybody listening is a thin-skinned alcoholic might want to tune out no amanda's nice but i'm not gonna no i don't i'm not gonna be (laughs) dragging or attacking anyone like if if I'm gonna drag or attack anyone, the first person I'm gonna throw under the bus is myself. So. Oh, okay, cool, cool. <laughs> so I, I'm curious, right? So you you talk about it, and and you mentioned it in the book, like how you ran into your friend. Like there's this very identifiable language, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you, you kind of touched on it already, but like one of the reasons, like I went to AA three or four years before I got sober. Show up, this meeting's in a church. And I hear these people talk, they pray together. I'm like, y'all are a cult. I'm out of here, right? But, you know, nine years ago in 2012 when I got sober, I was dying and I'm just like, screw it. I'm going to just do whatever you guys say, right? And that's, you know, that's kind of how you get into a cult, that that kind of desperation, right? But, uh, but yeah, so one thing, like when we talk about language and these sayings, right, that keep coming up and everything, like they're kind of everywhere. So like when, if you get into like cognitive behavioral therapy, for example, a lot of it is rewiring your brain through repetitive behavior and stopping and all these things. Like you mentioned HALT. Do you remember what that stands for? Yeah. Hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Right. Right. So like a therapist might tell you like, you know, through CBT, like, Hey, pause for a second, recognize, you know? So, so that's where I'm curious, right? Like, because I, I hear people say, oh, hey, hey, and then not you, but others. And I'm just like, well, it's kind of similar, isn't it? Like using language to kind of stop. For sure. Your head, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't think that having ritualistic language that's there to bond people or to, you know, reframe certain things for people. I don't mm. think that's inherently bad. And in the book, I talk about how, you know, that sort of culty sound sounding language doesn't have to be evil. For example, mm-hmm. you know, my best friend works for a cancer nonprofit mm. and the lofty over the top inspirational mantras that they use there sound hella culty. In fact, <laughs> it's like, yeah. multi-level marketing like pyramid scheme recruitment language um but mm-hmm. they're all very like transparently there to find a cure for cancer yeah <laughs> and that's where the you know the power ends and with aa it's like that that's that's where that's ultimately where the power ends as well like you i mean aa is interesting and it's not my area of expertise but 
where I, how I see it is that like, it, it is kind of unfortunate that there is only this like one, one size fits all system that mm-hmm. is supposed to apply to like all addicts and whatever. But because that is the case, you kind of like need that culty language to encourage that solidarity mm. and get people coming back. Like it's that sense of transcendence that is experienced there that keeps people coming back that sense of transcendence mm-hmm. and community um and i think aa does it in a net positive way like there are obviously people who have negative experiences with aa but mm-hmm. um yeah i i mean aa is obviously on the cultish spectrum but i would be curious to know like what is the cultiest thing in a bad way that's ever come from yeah AA so- membership yeah, you you might enjoy this story. All right. Sit back, enjoy. It's time for me to tell you a story, man. So when I first got sober, right, I, I didn't have anything to do. I was like living in a sober living. I started hitting like three meetings a day. And I, what I realized is they're all kind of different. I think they're a cult, right? But I noticed some were further along on the cultish spectrum, right? So uh-huh. this meeting on this side of town, right? And, you know, I couldn't really get it, like, because a lot of the meetings I went to were just totally fine. Like, nobody was bossing me around, telling me what to do. They kind of just let mm-hmm. me do my thing. I just sat there or whatever. But there was this one meeting where it seemed hella culty, all right? And, yeah, it got to a point where uh, there's there's a rule and, like, a, uh, a suggestion, a very strong suggestion. Don't date your first year when you're sober. Right. And just, you know, all these other kind of guidelines and stuff. But it's a suggestion. We don't, like, use hard and fast rules. But mm-hmm. at this one specific, uh, they call them fellowships, like, this this sponsor straight up dropped his this kid because he was dating him. Like, I think he was going to move in with his girlfriend, something like that. And then that fellowship didn't let that kid come back to the meeting. And I'm like, okay, y'all are yeah. why people call AA a cult, right? Because it was very strict. and like, Dogmatic, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so this is where listening to the language can be helpful because if you're in an AA group, and this kind of reminds me of Soul Cycle in a way, because not every Soul Cycle class is going to be equally culty since each one <laughs> is like its own mini cult that assembles around that instructor. And every instructor has their own brand, their own set of language, blah, blah, blah. Um, so that's kind of like AA meetings. But yeah. if you find that there is an excess of l- really loaded us them labels mm. that are used to like lambast people who are not on the inside or not doing it right um, and elevate those who are on the inside and are doing it right, that can be a red flag. If there um, is just like an overabundance of like too many emotionally charged buzzwords that don't themselves have any meaning but are there to instill those who are using them or feel like they know how to use them with this sense of elitism if you find that there are a ton of thought terminating cliches this is a phenomenon that i talk about um in cultish it's this phrase that was coined in the early 60s by a psychologist named robert j lifton and Mm -hmm. it describes these sort of stock expressions that are easily memorized easily repeated and aimed at shutting down independent thinking or questioning so Mm -hmm. in synanon the group where my dad spent his teenage years a uh, thought terminating c- cliche that was used all the time was act as if. So basically, if anybody had uh, a question or wanted to push back on one of the real weird rules there, someone might reply to you by saying, oh, act as if. And yeah. that was the imperative that meant act as if you believe in what Chuck Diedrich, the leader, is saying mm-hmm. until you do, because he's all knowing and he has the wisdom and you just need to act as if you believe it. And eventually you will, I promise. So if a group 
serves you with thought terminating cliches, that can be a sign that they are dismissing dissent. They're encouraging conformity. They don't mm-hmm. want, questioning is the enemy to any dangerously cultish group. Yeah. You need to be able to express scrutiny. And I think one of the you know most helpful things that Stephen Hassan said to me during our interviews was anything legitimate will stand up to scrutiny. Mm-hmm. Um, so that term and cliches also show up in our everyday lives, just as a few more examples. Um, they can sound like boys will be boys. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, everything happens for a reason, et cetera. So yeah. um, anyway, in a cultish atmosphere, that can be a red flag um, that mm-hmm. you're in a group that's uh, not only cultish, but like too cultish for comfort. Yeah, it's it's so interesting that you bring that up. I just had to write down some notes. I'm probably going to hit you up for a little help, like because now I want to kind of like write about this because I, I help people like when they're getting sober because there's a lot of misconceptions and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. there's like a checklist you could use because when you brought that up, that kind of us versus them, this specific meeting I'm talking about, too. Uh, for example, I'm a, I was a drug addict and an alcoholic, but they didn't want you going to NA meetings, right? And if if you made this group your home group, which is like your your place, right, right. they didn't want you even going to other AA meetings, you know. But I've been sober nine years, been to thousands of meetings all over the country. This is the only time I ran into that. So so mm-hmm. my fear is like, you know, people like this, because it's obviously like, you know, this free thing. Treatment can be a bajillion dollars. Ameri- I don't know if you heard, but American healthcare ain't that great. You know, so I don't want people to be scared if, if it's something that they might be able to access and stuff like that. But there might be some like checks to, okay, like, are they doing yeah. this? And you're furthering. This this specific meeting is further along on the spectrum and and all that. I think that would be helpful so i might need your help if i create some kind of little workbook i love or something yeah yeah and and yeah amanda i i don't have much more of your time and i encourage everybody who's listening like we didn't even we bill i'm looking at my notes we barely scratched the surface (laughs) of the stuff you talk about in your book like you dive into like mlms you dive into these spiritual gurus running around on instagram you have some stories in there about stuff that's like I love the book. I might read. I might reread it, Amanda. But, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you you are very active, uh, leading your non cult following, and you're on social media. But can you tell everybody where they can find you and where's where's cultish available? Where can we get it? Yeah, well, cultish is available in hardback, ebook, and audiobook wherever you buy books. Um, I encourage you to support your local indie bookstore or buy it from bookshop.org mm-hmm. um, or the cult of Amazon if you really have to. Um, and uh, my podcast is called Sounds Like a Cult. And um, we, yeah, we're, we're doing a first season of 12 episodes and we're 10 episodes in at the time of this recording. So you can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts and you can follow me on Instagram at Amanda underscore Montel for fun culty things. <laughs> yep, I'm gonna link all that down in the description. And yeah, the cool thing about waiting until the end, cause I listened to one or two episodes, but I'm like, I'm just gonna wait binge all these things, <laughs> you know, just soak it all in, you know, kind of like uh, Yeah, Netflix the episodes falls. are like a fun snack. They're just 30 minutes. Um, yeah. So they're good for like a commute or folding your laundry, whatever. Yeah, you guys have a, you, you guys have a really interesting format too, like, cause you'll have like clips from like audience and stuff like that every now and then. And like, yeah, it's, 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 it makes me, I'm like, oh, I guess I need to step my game up now. Amanda, you make me have to improve this. It's so, it's so time consuming. Like I'm telling you, we, we like have to take a season break because it's just, it's too, it's, it's so much work, like putting together the type of podcast that we're trying to do and you do it for free. So it's like, Jesus Christ. It's so yeah, much yeah. Work. But, but 
But if you ever start the podcast, then you'll have enough time to start a cult. Is that what you're saying? We'll see. <laughs> uh, Amanda, I appreciate it. I'm so glad we finally linked up. So thank you so much thank for coming you. on. All right, everybody. That was my conversation with the wonderful Amanda Montel. I told you that episode was fun, didn't I? So, so yeah, make sure you grab a copy of this book. And yeah, um, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping I can have Amanda come back on to talk about her previous book, Word Slut. Amanda's been doing a lot of stuff around cultish. So maybe, maybe when stuff dies down, but uh, you have the opportunity before we figure out a way to make that happen to go read both the books. But uh, yeah, Word Slut is, uh, you know, about, you know, uh, feminism and words, uh, language, uh, uh, words and language used around women and how, you know, it, it, it can, you know, hurt women or help women and, you know, all sorts of different things. So I really enjoyed that book and, and learning about all that. So yeah, uh, check down in the description below, follow Amanda, grab a copy of Cultish. All right. I highly recommend Wordslot as well. And if you're into po podcasts, make sure you check out Amanda's podcast, uh, that she co-hosts called Sounds Like a Cult. All right. Yeah. And they upload clips and everything like that over on their Instagram. So if you want to get a little, a little uh, sample of some of the stuff they talk about, it's, it's a really cool podcast. All right. But yeah, also down in the description below, if you're not yet, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul. Uh, this episode, actually, uh, Amanda and I, we recorded video for it. So this will be uploaded to the Rewired Soul YouTube channel if you want to go check that out and subscribe over there. Uh, but yeah, uh, make sure you're following the podcast or subscribe, whatever platform you're listening on. And if you really want to, you know, be awesome and help out the podcast and it's a thousand percent free, uh, yeah, leave a rating and leave a review over on Apple. Head over to Apple, rate the podcast, review it. I love, uh, you know, reading and seeing your feedback and all of that, but it also actually helps the podcast a ton. And the other thing that really, really helps is sharing these episodes over on social media. So you got friends, you got people in your groups, or maybe you're like in a Facebook group or something like that. And, uh, you know, people, you know, might be interested in cults and might dig this book or this conversation. Make sure you share it. All that stuff really helps out the podcast. And uh, it tells the algorithms like, hey, push this out there and, and get it to more people so we can build this lovely little community. All right. But some other ways to support the podcast are down in the description below. Um, I have uh, published some books, some uh, self-published books over at the rewiredsoul.com, mental health, addiction recovery. I also have a book on YouTube cancel culture. A lot of that has to do with uh, stand culture and stuff or that's in that. Um, but yeah, another way you can support the podcast, you can become a patron and there's also an affiliate link down below for BetterHelp Online Therapy. Uh, yeah, mental health is a huge part of my recovery and just, you know, keeping my sanity on a day-to-day -day basis. And I've personally used BetterHelp. So if you think that might be beneficial to you, check out that affiliate link. It's affordable. You work with a licensed therapist and you do it from the comfort of your own home or wherever you are. All right. So another huge thanks to Amanda. Make sure you're following her and grab a copy of Cultish. And yeah, huge thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to this episode. And stay tuned. I have a bunch of other great episodes coming out this week. So stay tuned. All right. So have an amazing rest of your day and I will talk to you next time. <laughs>